0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: So we're leaving on Saturday. What's what's your plan with the whole guava pastry situation?
0: I decided I'm not going to have it until Friday night, as I've been wanting for months, and I'm worried if I have it before then, it'll just, you know, lead to a whole mess of guava pastries. It'll be like a guava pastry binge. Yes. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Croft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah.
1: That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career
0: and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about boulders and hills and how you really want to be someone who helps push the boulder up the hill. Then in Take a Hike, we'll discuss why we
1: are trying to be at ease in muddy water. And in The Craft and Fane, we're going to share some of our favorite terms and phrases from the writer's room. If you don't know what a house number
0: is, this is the segment for you. And this week's Hollywood Hack will help you stay calm, or at least make other people believe you're calm, which is almost as important.
1: Okay, Liz, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks of, where we talk about what's most pressing, in our work psyches. And this week, it is boulders. Uh, why don't you explain?
0: Yes. So this concept comes from Adam Bellinoff, who is a consulting producer on Fantasy Island and was here in Puerto Rico with us for the last five weeks. And we were talking to Adam, and he was explaining that he has heard and believes, and as soon as he said it, we also agree <laughs> that there are four types of people in the writer's room. Now, We should say this is distinct from what you and I talked about, which is there are problem solvers, big idea people, all of that. This is different. This is more of a general description. And what I love about it is that it not only applies to a writer's room, but basically any workplace in the world. Yes, I think that's what's so interesting
1: is as soon as he said it, it was like, wow, this is applicable to Everyone, everywhere, literally every work environment, you will recognize these people.
0: Yes. So the first type of person is the people who are pushing the boulder up the hill. And he was talking about this in reference to breaking story. These are the people who are sitting there, grinding it out, figuring out how to break this story. Doing the hard work.
1: Because that's the thing. All of these jobs, literally every job has these things where you just have to knuckle down and do the hard work. I would say that's our favorite kind of person. Yes. The person pushing the boulder
0: up the hill with us. We like them. Then there are the people who are watching others push the boulder up the hill. So they're kind of sitting back and watching the work happen. (laughs) Those people are (laughs) annoying. (laughs) But at least they're just sitting there. True. They're not interfering. The other, (laughs) there's also people who are sitting on the boulder as others push it up the hill. They're actually making the job somewhat harder. Yes. And I think
1: as soon as you say that, Liz, don't you just have like a list in your head of people like over the last, you know, a bazillion years of us working? You're just like, oh, yeah, that person was a
0: boulder sitter. Oh, yeah, that was a boulder sitter. We all know boulder sitters. We've all been that person at one time or another for whatever reason. But yes, (laughs) hopefully not very often. And then, of course, the fourth kind of person is the person who is higher
1: up on the hill in front of the boulder, trying to push it back down while other
0: people are trying to push it up. (laughs) Those are the worst. Yes. (laughs) And it's funny because, I mean, the metaphor is just so clear. We don't even need to explain it. It's like the second you hear someone is pushing the boulder or sitting on the boulder or watching the boulder be pushed, you get it. And Here's the thing, and and part of why this came up is Adam was uh, we were talking about breaking story, and Adam was pointing out it's really easy to point out problems with a story, right? You know that when you're discussing an episode of television or a movie or whatever it is, the easiest thing to do is find problems and poke holes in it. The etiquette of the room, room etiquette, and Sarah, maybe we should do a segment actually on room etiquette. Oh, we should. Slide aside, Sarah Gretchen and I recently interviewed Julianna Margulies on Happier, who of course starred on ER and The Good Wife. And she was saying she's surprised at how many young actors don't know set etiquette. Oh, interesting. So there's also yeah. room etiquette. But room etiquette states that if you're going to poke a hole in something, you should have a solution at the time that you poke the hole. You don't always, if you don't, you should at the very least say, I'm sorry I'm not pitching a solution to this, but here's my issue. Yes. Those are maybe the bolder sitters. Yeah. Okay, those are the (laughs) sitters. Yes, exactly. The ones pushing it down are the ones who just don't like it. One thing that, Sarah, we notice is, you know, we'll get to a place where many things are working. Yeah. And then there are the people who come in and just take a complete left turn with the story and almost want to start over again. Right, and you're like, no, no, no. We have
1: the vast majority of our story here. We have a lot of things that we've settled on and a lot of things that work, we're not going back to square one. The boulder
0: is three quarters of the way up the hill. Yes, there are those people who want to come in and just shove it right down the hill and like yes. have it splash into the ocean. And then start all over again. Yes. Here's what I will say about watching is sometimes it it's better to watch if you really... Like, if you're inexperienced and you really don't know what's happening, because it, it takes time to learn yeah. how to break a oh, story, yes. it's okay to sit back and watch others do it some of the time. You want to contribute, but if you don't know you're potentially contributing something that's helpful, Don't just get in there and try to push the boulder because you feel you should. Yes.
1: As long as you're engaged and thinking, it's definitely better to watch than to sit on or push down. Yes. Or to jump in and try to push it if you really
0: don't know what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Because eventually, if you're watching and paying attention to what other people are doing, you'll have a great idea and you'll be able to get in there and shoulder the boulder up the hill. Exactly.
0: I would love to hear from people like in other professions. One, if they have other metaphors that they use in their profession, I'm sure they do. Or if people feel this applies to them. I I can't imagine anyone who has a job anywhere doesn't feel this applies. So I, I just love this. Yeah. No, when Adam brought this up, it resonated just immediately. And Sarah, if you and I get into a mood, uh, we can just gently say to one another, remember, we want to push the boulder up the hill. Yes. Where, if up we're trying to be, if, if we start being <laughs> boulder sitters or even worse, pushing it boulder down. Boulder pusher downers. Yes. yes. Don't be a boulder pusher downer.
1: Yeah. It's also, I think, we haven't done this, but I think it would be an effective way in the room to kind of reset someone who's pushing the boulder down the hill. Yes. To so just say, nope, that's pushing the boulder down the hill. Let's get ah. behind the boulder and push it up.
0: Ah, I like it. We have an action item. Yes, we do. Let's okay. do it. <laughs> Coming up, we have a take a hike courtesy of yet another Fantasy Island writer. But first, this break. Okay, Liz,
1: it's time for Take a Hike, where we talk about physical, spiritual, and mental health. And this week, it's, I guess, mental health, spiritual health. Yes, from another Fantasy Island writer, (laughs) our co-EP, Adria Lang, put a really beautiful line in her script for episode 104 of Fantasy Island that we have been thinking about a lot lately. There's a scene at an ashram in the episode. And one of the characters says, may you be like the Lotus at ease in muddy waters. And we
0: thought, oh, yes. That line really resonated with us on so many levels right now. As TV writers, we're always in somewhat muddy waters because <laughs> it is a very fickle industry. Yes, So there's always mud swirling around. But specifically on this show, it's evolved and changed and our production schedule is insanely tight. I mean, it, it's the biggest challenge we've ever faced in production. Yes, we are churning
1: out material at <laughs> lightning speed, although I'm sure production doesn't see it that way, but it feels that way it to us. It feels that way to
0: us. <laughs> and we sort of always have this feeling that we have to manage it so that everything goes right or else things could go very wrong. <laughs> and on top of all of this, we are all dealing with shooting in a pandemic So production has to, you know, manage hundreds of COVID tests. Everyone has to check in every day. We've mentioned this. And if we have 25 extras in a scene, all 25 of those people have to be tested numerous times before they can come to set. So it is a whole to-do.
1: It is, and there's always a sense that just at any second chunk. There could be a positive COVID test somewhere and we'll have to stop everything and just figure out what the path forward is. So because you I think you have to take like at least a 24 hour break, maybe a 48 hour break. We haven't fortunately been in this situation yeah. thanks to our amazing line producer and our COVID team. But it's a real thing that's totally possible at any second. So it feels like very muddy water swirling around. Yes, very
0: muddy waters. And you and I, and I also, Sarah, want to talk about your personal life because you've got muddy waters in your personal life. (laughs) But on the professional side, you and I, we talk to each other and we try to tell each other to be like the lotus at ease in these muddy waters. Goes back to it's how you hold it, which we've talked about. but. You know, it it can be hard. I'm glad we have each other to remind us of that. It, I think it helps, not entirely, but it does help. It does. And I think we've been
1: in this industry for a while now. And and to the sort of normal extent of Muddy Waters, we are Eddie's. Mm. With the sort of general state of being Turning. as a television writer, we're like, okay, we're the Lotus, you know, it's fine. It's really just right now, I think the the water is muddier. So we have to to be more cognizant of being the lotus. It's funny, Violet was doing a school project yesterday and she drew a picture of a pond with lily pads, which aren't lotuses, but you know, and I was just like, there they are. They're Eddies in muddy water.
0: Dang, <laughs> Sarah, I mean, you also have muddy waters in your personal life because you got a lot going on there.
1: Oh, my personal life w- waters are just like, I, I'm pretty sure they're mostly mud and not so much water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, yes, no, we're leaving here, Puerto Rico, soon, in a week, mm-hmm. a little more than a week. And I'm going to Minnesota. And from Minnesota, I literally have no idea where we're going after that. My house is going to go on the market really soon and hopefully hopefully, sell quickly. And then I'm going to buy a house in Ohio, but I don't know what house. There are very few houses available there right now. So it's a little crazy. I mean, I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm trying very hard to be at ease in the muddy waters, but it's it's definitely challenging. And I find that it's best when I just don't think about it.
0: Yes. And I I have to say, I am so impressed with you really are being like the Lotus uh, on this front. I'm very impressed with you. I would not be so calm on that front. So I, I really am impressed in that sense, maybe having the professional muddy waters actually helps because it is a major distraction. So so maybe well, the one true. is helping the other. That's true. I also just,
1: I have to say, it's so funny because Victoria texts me every time I talk about her on the podcast. She's uh-huh. like, you talked about me on the podcast. Um, Your real Victoria, estate agent, Victoria. Yes, is my real mention. estate agent and my friend. And I think part of why, probably the biggest part of why I feel as as at ease as I do in these muddy waters is that I know she's handling everything. Yes. So I'm just like, okay, many deep breaths. Victoria's got this, you know, and she's taking care of my dogs, yes. which is obviously the biggest thing. Yes, you
0: you texted me yesterday and said, I'm sitting on my bed taking deep breaths. And <laughs> that is, you know, that's probably yep. was the best thing you could have been doing at that moment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Be like the Lotus. At ease in
1: muddy waters. Okay, coming up, we share some of our absolute favorite words and phrases from the writer's room
0: right after this break. Okay, Sarah, it is time for The Craft and Fane, in which we discuss the craft of writing, Um and and today's segment came out of the fact that some of the people in the room didn't know certain phrases that the more seasoned writers kept throwing around and stopped us and said what do these things mean and we we thought <laughs> oh good point not everyone in the world knows what these things mean and so we thought it would be fun to share some of them I always love hearing jargon from other professions Totally and I probably some of our phrases would fit into another profession, but some of them are just totally singular to writing, I think, television writing in
1: particular. And we usually say this at the end, but I'm going to say it up front. If there's anyone in other industries who has jargon that they want to share with us, I would love to hear it. But mostly, I want to know if anyone uses these phrases in their job and how they use them. I would love to know that. Okay, Liz, shall we dive in? Yeah, let's go through some of these. Okay, the first one is house number. This is what we say uh, if we're pitching an idea. Uh, we'll say, I mean, this is the house number, but what if she comes in and puts a bunch of marigolds on the table? I don't know what that story is, but yeah, it's an example. And so we used the phrase house number in the room, and our executive story editor, Mary Molina, was like, "What? I, what hold on, <laughs> What is that? What's a house number? Yes.
0: So Liz, what's a house number? A house number is when you're just having, you're using something as an example. First of all, is what it means. So you were saying, for example, she puts a vase of marigolds on the table. It could be a cake. It could be a bottle of vodka. It could be anything, but you said vase of marigolds and why it's, so it's also could be called a placeholder is another thing we use. But the reason it's called a house number we learned many years ago is because when they build houses, they first paint the number of the house, the address on the curb. So there will be a number before there's an actual house. So it's like you're kind of putting, you're saying this isn't the actual house, but it's the house number. So you know where to go and put your house.
1: Someday we'll build the actual house here.
0: For now, it's just a vase of marigolds. Yes, and we use that phrase probably 50 times a day. (laughs) Yes, probably.
1: And the funny thing, of course, with house numbers is that you often end up actually using the thing you pitched as the house number because you're like, you know what, actually, that's pretty good. Yeah, nine times (laughs) out of 10, the house number is the actual thing. Yes. Okay. So the second term is schmuck bait. This came up recently because we had an act break and when we were getting notes, our executive was like, I don't know, I feel like this act break is kind of schmuck bait. And we carried that information back to the writer's room. And some people were like, "What? what's
0: schmuck bait? Yes. So schmuck bait is when you end an act on something that you're trying to present as Jeopardy, but it's actually not. So an example of this would be like a girl is babysitting and it's late and she hears the door rattle and you go out. Oh, my gosh, who's coming into the house? And then if you came back in the next act and the mother of the child she was babysitting came through the door and there was absolutely no danger that would be schmuck bait. Yes, and
1: it's sort of lazy structuring. Yes. basically, it's like creating an act to break out of something that's not really meaningful just because you don't have a better idea. It's fake stakes. Fake stakes, exactly. And usually, if usually at the breaking stage, you get you're like, okay, that not that we can't do that. That's schmuck bait. Yes. In this case, apparently, it slid through. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> we changed it. Yeah. And then there, this is a hugely um, popular phrase a MacGuffin, spelled M C G U F F I N. And a MacGuffin is basically like in a movie where um, thieves are trying to steal the diamond, the diamond would be the MacGuffin. It's the reason why we're ostensibly telling this whole story. Yeah, it's a plot device. It's just an object that an entire plot can revolve around. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, the the term came from Hitchcock. He popularized apparently both the term and the technique, according to Wikipedia, with his 1935 film, The 39 Steps.
0: Um, and then this is one of our personal favorites, Sarah. That's just a move. We say that a lot. <laughs> That's just a move. And when something is just a move, it means it's just a piece of plot. You're just taking a character from one place to another. You're not actually telling an emotional story. And it's it, this one is probably one of the hardest terms to really understand. I think it's fair to
1: say, Liz, that it actually probably took us many years to truly understand what a move is and why no scene in a story should be just a move. Yeah, it's basically just like you're only doing this to make something exciting happen in the story, but it doesn't do anything for your characters. It doesn't advance them in any way. It's just a move. Yes, it's just a move. Um, this is one we all love, a
0: hat on a hat.
1: <laughs> so a hat on a hat is someone will pitch something and you're like, well, I mean, isn't that just kind of a hat on a hat? It's like we already have the hat. Do we need more hats? <laughs> yeah,
0: probably not. Yeah. It's a weird way to describe a hat on a hat, but that's just what it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you've already got something. And when you add to it, you're just sort of adding for no reason. Yeah. Here's an example, Sarah. If a character fell and broke their leg and they had a broken leg, and then in the next act, they broke their arm, that would be a hat on a hat. Unless it were a comedy, in which case, maybe it
1: would work. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) In a drama, it's a hat on a hat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so the next phrase that writers use all the time is shine a light on it. Another version of that is hang a lantern on it. This is basically when you recognize that something is maybe not exactly right, and you can either try to hide it or you can hang a lantern on it. And if you hang a lantern on it and or shine a light on it, usually... Whatever that thing is can work.
0: Yeah. It's like it's like a miracle cure. It really is. It's if you're having a problem, two things you can do if you're having a problem. Cut or hang a lantern on it. Yep. <laughs> and then finally, Sarah, shoe leather. This is another phrase some of the writers and assistants didn't know. Shoe leather is, it's very closely associated to moves, I would say. Shoe leather is associated with like detective stories because there's a lot of shoe leather detectives have to go through, which is just talking to this person and that person and this person. And it's sort of all the stuff you go through to get to the nugget. Yes. And shoe leather
1: is not necessarily a bad thing. Like sometimes it'll be like, okay, we need a little shoe leather. Yes. Sometimes you 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 need
0: more shoe leather.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's just shoe leather. We don't need that.
0: Yes. (laughs) And when we need to cut, when we need to make something shorter, the first thing we'll do is go, okay, well, is there any shoe leather we can cut? And usually there is. Usually there is, yes. All right. So that is our writer's room
1: jargon. Please do let us know if you use any of these in your own work. We are fascinated to know.
0: And if you writers out there want to give us more terms, we could do another segment where we talk about more of our writer's room phrases, because we're just throwing out a few, Sarah. There are so many. We have to start keeping a list, as a matter of fact.
1: Okay, will do. Will do. I'm the list maker, so I know that's my job. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, it is time for this week's Hollywood Hack, which is lower your voice. Yes. Now, I am someone who tends to speak when I'm impassioned, loudly. Yes,
1: I actually recall, I think last week, writing a note. We were on a Zoom and I wrote,
0: you're shouting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was shouting. I also have a tendency to shout on Zoom just because I feel like no one can hear me. But yes, I will shout. (laughs) Yeah, not in, I should say, not in an angry way. It was just a volume thing. just loudly. Yeah. Yeah. And you pointed out recently that if people aren't listening, and I've heard this before, but I I heard it from you at a moment. I needed to hear it and it really rang. You know, sometimes things just resonate. Yes, they hit at the right time. People aren't listening. Don't raise your voice low. Lower your voice. Yes. And of course, this is a
1: teacher trick. I mean, teachers are the masters of lowering their voice so that suddenly the classroom has to get quiet to hear what they're saying.
0: Yes.
1: But it's really, really effective. It does make people kind of lean in and pay more attention. It's very hard to remember to do it.
0: Yes, because the other thing, not only does it kind of make people have to lean in and listen, but it also gives an appearance of calm. And the calmer one appears and the more in control one appears, the more others tend to listen to what they have to say. Now, there's a real power in a quiet voice. Yes, there really is. And so even if you don't feel calm inside, if you can keep your voice down and keep your voice calm, you're going to likely get more of what you want than if you start shouting, which I am wont to do. <laughs> yes.
1: But again, I think what's funny about you is you just have a loud voice and especially you're right on zoom. You just amplify without even
0: being aware of it. Yeah. Well, people feel so far away. I feel like, I know. you know. Can you hear me yes. out well, there? And also, so often people can't hear. I mean, it's 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 a confusing <laughs> time. It is.
1: I'm not a fan of all the Zooms. And I think in person, it's probably an even more effective strategy. Absolutely. It's just we're not in person with other people very much right now. But someday we will be again. And remembering to just sort of be at ease in muddy water, for one, and lower our voices will certainly be effective tools just for kind of being as
0: productive and efficient and in charge as we need to be. Yes. That's going to maybe, might be our 2022 slogan, Sarah. I don't know. Oh, lower your voice. Something to think about. Well, we
1: have several months. There's no <laughs> rush. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We'd love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And please subscribe if you haven't
0: already. Thanks to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Cola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sankola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13.
1: And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban.
0: And check out the newest Onward Project podcast, Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Kraft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, the funny thing is, Adam, one of his major complaints about me is that I mumble and talk too softly. So I are, apparently are have volume serious? issues. Yes. So I either mumble and whisper Or apparently I shout and scream. So I I need to find a nice spot in the middle. When do you mumble? I've literally never experienced you mumbling. I think just when I'm home and I'm just, just don't, it's like, it feels like it takes too much energy to like actually talk. And I'm not (laughs) sure if anyone wants to hear what I have to say. So I just like sort of only half say things. (laughs)